Some people say I'm not a worshiper. I don't believe in God, so I don't worship. But the truth is that everyone, everywhere, is unceasingly worshiping. You can no more stop worshiping than you can stop breathing. Worship is the constant state of the human heart as we pour out our lives towards someone or something. We all worship. The only question is, what do you worship? It is the outpouring of all that you are into that which you hold in highest regard. This series is a study in glory. Only Jesus is worthy. Our posture in His presence. up church happy father's day good good to have you guys here uh just a little about about me my name's scott um i work with rise youth here but i've been walking with jesus for about 18 years now but but something happened around 2007 2008 i've been walking with jesus for for a number of years like getting into the scriptures and understanding his word and being around the body of believers and being encouraged and it was a beautiful wonderful thing but but i was just thirsty for more right i was thirsty for for just something more and i asked buddy about like some resources of like man how do I go deeper how do I grow and he started to introduce me into like these theologians right like these guys that spent like rigorous time in the text and and doing exegesis and all of this and so I started reading like all these old dead dudes that wrote from like hundreds of years ago and like some of the modern guys that were a little bit more rigorous and you start reading through them and it's difficult right like you, you, you open up a page and you go through and it's labor intensive and you work through and you have to have a dictionary and like look up every other word and then reread the paragraphs. But, but something started to happen. Something I started to notice as I was reading these guys. And it was more than like the doctrines that they were talking about and like the specifics about this. But what they did is they, they tended to have this reverence and awe that when they beheld the glory of God, they would sit back and their jaws would just drop and they sit in awe and wonder of God in his glory. And this started to like affect me and change me and change like who I was, like, like glory. And I would open up my Bible and I'd go through the text and I would see glory because it's permeated in all of it. And I start to behold glory like these guys do. And it's changing me. And it's like everything is about his glory. And you stand back in awe and wonder. It's been such a powerful influence on my life reflecting on God's glory that I actually ended up naming my, like, all of my kids after, like, these old theologians and stuff. Because not so much that I want them to grow up reading all their doctrines. And a lot of them are, like, really solid and good. But I want that legacy of sitting in wonder at God's glory to be carried on through my kids. Like this is like my greatest passion and goal is that they would see God's glory, that I would see God's glory, that we as a church would know and experience God's glory above all else. And so we, just, we get into this weighty, massive subject. Would you guys just pray with me to start off with? Father, I, I thank you that we actually get to be here tonight, to this morning, and encounter your glory. God, you, you know how lo- I've longed to preach this, and, and the, the trembling that I have at your glory. God, would you give me words? 
Would you walk me through every step? Would you give me your Holy Spirit to actually preach? And more than that, would you illuminate every heart and every soul with who you are? Would you let us behold your glory this morning above all else? We pray this in your son Jesus' name, who died so that we could encounter your glory. Amen. Right, this subject is weighty, it's big, it's heavy, and so what we have to do, like, because it permeates all of Scripture, we have to look at a lot of Scripture, and so we're going to be all over the Bible today. You can try and, like, follow along with your Bibles, but I'll have everything up there, like, if you can't, like, flip there fast enough, and that's where we're going to be, but first we need to look at, like, what is glory? Like, what does this mean, this word glory? And it's something that's very difficult, actually, to define, because it's better experienced than it is like brought about in words, right? Things that are nouns are like easy to define. Like if I was to not have this table, but to describe the table, I could tell you its height and its width and like its shape and its color. And you would get a picture in your mind of what this table is rather easily. You can define what a table is rather easily, but defining God's glory is difficult. It's like understanding what beauty is. Right? Like, like, it's easier for me to take you to a mountain lake and say that's beautiful than it is to dis- describe what beauty is. And it's the same thing with glory, but, but we, we have to start somewhere. So here's my stab at glory. It's, it's the weight of God's holiness manifested, manifest, made known, right? It's the weight of God's holiness manifested. Right? And I say weight because of the Hebrew word. Like if you go back to the original Hebrew that the, the Old Testament was written in, this word for glory is kavod. Right? And it means weightiness. It means heaviness. But it's always in a positive sense. That this weightiness is always positive. There's another word, kavod, which actually can be negative or positive in this heaviness, this weightiness. But, but there is a weight to God's glory. Right? And it's the weight and it's the holiness made known, like manifested to us that we actually get to experience this. But, but then we have to look at, well, what, what is holiness? Right? To be holy is to be set apart. Like if I had a stack of books right here and I was to take one of them and then set it apart over here, it would be holy, right? It's set apart from the rest. But, but when, we, when we talk about God and holiness and holy, it, it's something more than that. It's not just set apart, it's set above. Above, right? Because God is truly set apart. He is unique. He is individual. He is unlike anything else because all other things have been created except for him. That he's existed for all of eternity and will exist for all of eternity. He speaks things into existence. Everything else is lower than him and he is the eternal God. This is what it means to really be holy. Like that he is above all else, set apart, absolutely unique. There is nothing like him and so when we talk about glory it's this holiness made known it's how great and how big he is and we as humans you know what we were designed for we were made in his image and we were designed actually to glorify him right to glorify and to worship him but but this idea of glorify sometimes we can get this wrong sense of what it means to glorify because we might get the 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 idea that we can add to god's glory that when we glorify him that we add 
add to his glory. And that would be nonsense. It's false because God's glory is already as big as it could ever possibly be. There is nothing that we could ever add to glory, right? We don't do that. The way that I think about it is actually from the movie Elf with Will Ferrell, right? Buddy the Elf. Uh, he goes on this date with this gal named Jovi and they're doing like dumb kid things and they're like running through the revolving door in circles but at this one point he's like he wants to show her Christmas trees because he loves Christmas trees and he's like now look at this one right look at that one look at this one right and then look at this one and he's so excited about it but in in all of this never does he add anything to the christmas tree never does he change the beauty of it never does he add an ornament what he's doing is he's talking about the beauty and the grandness that this these trees already have and he's drawing somebody else into it this is what it is to glorify god is it's to declare what is already glorious. When we glorify him, we say, we see the glory and we declare it. And we draw other people in and say, no, no, no. You have to see the glory of God. It's so amazing. And so what we're going to do is look in Scripture and see the glory of God filtering through everything, starting with Isaiah chapter 6. It says this, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see like there's these crazy angelic beings that have like six wings and they're flying around. But what do they do when they're in the presence of God? Is they worship and they call out and they declare who he is. And they declare holy, holy, holy. This is what they're doing like night and day. And they're just worshiping in his presence because of his glory. But we even see this, that, that it's his holiness and that glory is the manifestation. We see it. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right? His glory radiates out. Right? John, the apostle, he, he ends up like banished and imprisoned on this island called Patmos. And when he's there, he gets this revelation. And, and he sees things. And he actually sees like this same throne room. This same thing happening. But he sees it at the consummation of the ages. When, when all people are brought into to, to God for judgment. And then people are welcomed in. Those who have known Christ are welcomed in. And they get to see God. And, and we see like the outpouring of worship. Not just of these angels, but of the people and the elders. Revelation chapter 4. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives, lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were 
were created. Do you see what happens? Do you see what happens to people, to angels, to anything that encounters the presence of God? Worship is drawn out of them. Just being in the presence of God elicits worship, right? His glory, God's glory elicits worship. It draws us out. It's this thing that just happens. I think about it like this. When I was training up to go to Iraq in 2009, the, and we were doing like training down at like Fort Hunter, Liggett, California, we, we would train to respond to IDF alarms, indirect fire, and they would sound the alarms, and every time we had to react in a certain way because you get down on the ground to protect yourself. It's the best protection that you can have about these like incoming rockets and stuff. And so they would train you, and they would just like sound the alarm at random times and get you to just like be, become like a, a native thing. So you hear the alarm, and you're just like down on the ground like that like you just have it has to be natural it has to come like you hear the sound and it just happens right this is what happens with worship you don't even have to train for it right that when you encounter the majesty and the holiness and the glory of god what comes out is worship right because he's worthy this is how big god's glory is this is how amazing it is. But it doesn't even stop there. It doesn't even stop there. Moses, as he's leading the, guy, uh, the Israelites through the wilderness, and they're going to Mount Sinai, and they've been at Mount Sinai, and they've gotten the Ten Commandments and all these other sundry laws, and, and they're going through stuff. He goes up to the mountain, and he asks God something. He says, God, can I see your glory? And God's like, well, if you actually saw like the full brunt of my glory, you would die. So here, let me do this. I'm going to like hide you in the rock. I'm going to cover you over and I'm going to pass by and then I'll like move my hand and then you can like see the backside of my glory. You can see like the shadow, like just like the, the, the fading glimpse of glory. And this is what happens when Moses comes down after that. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Right, the people are afraid. They're afraid because like Moses is glowing, like glowing, like literally glowing. They're like, dude, have you been eating plutonium? You look radioactive, Moses. Like what's going on? But when Moses like sees like even the shadowy glimpse of God's glory, it's enough that it like absorbs in and like reflects out of him. And people are like terrified. They're like, what is going on? And this actually continued to happen. Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would meet with God there. And when he would come out he would have to stick a veil over his face to stop freaking the people out because every time he would come out glowing this is what happens when we encounter the glory of God like it reflects off of us this is amazing and, it, and the same thing actually happens to angels and it draws out worship from people and we we know like angels right in Luke chapter 1, as Gabriel, the angel, shows up and he's talking about like the coming of John the Baptist, and, but, but he says, I stand in the presence of God. Because angels, they, they live in the presence of God. And then what happens to that John when he's doing the revelation? This angel shows him this, and at the very end of Revelation, this is what it says. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw 
I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God, right? Like John tries to bow down to an angel and he knows better. Like he's walked with Jesus. He knows we're not supposed to worship angels, but John tries to bow down to him and, and the angel's like, like, God, I'm telling him, don't smoke me. Like, like uh, I'm not letting him worship me, right? Like worship God. But, but what is it? Because the angel lives in the presence of God and, right, and the glory is shining out of him and this natural reaction elicits worship. So when, when John encounters this glory, right, even the reflected glory, it draws worship out of him, right? Even the reflections of glory, God's glory draws forth worship from us. Man, how powerful is that? Man, how great is that glory that it would draw worship even from a reflection? But, but there's a problem, right? There's a problem because we, we were actually made to encounter glory. We were designed actually as image bearers of God, that, that we would reflect his glory everywhere we go, that, that we were born with his image. That's what, what's fundamentally different as us as humans than any other created thing is that we bear the image of God. And so when I see you, I'm supposed to see, oh, I see a little bit about what God is like and give God glory. Right, And when you see me, you're supposed to be like, I see a little bit about what God is like. And then to God be the glory. Right? But, but what happens is we sin. Right? We, we sin. And this, God's not okay with our sin because what our sin does is it messes with God's glory. If we diminish his glory and we raise our own. We say, God, your glory isn't good enough. I need my own glory. I need to be the own God of my life. I need to be the own God of everything. Like, like it's all about me and not about you. And so I'm gonna do this, this, and this. It doesn't matter. And this is, he's not okay with it. He is not gonna give his glory to us. This is what Isaiah 42 says. I am the Lord that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. God does not give his glory to somebody else. He holds his name in high esteem. And just a little side note, like this word Lord, right? It says, I am the Lord. If you were to open up your Bibles, most of your Bibles will probably have that word Lord in all capital letters. And throughout all the Old Testament, there's commonly written Lord. Sometimes it's in lowercase, and that means like master or, or you know, ruler or something like that, but when it's all capitals, the, the original word for this is Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, like, like it comes from the verb to be, because when Moses asked God, who should I say sent me, he said, I am. Because how do you explain God more than just saying that he exists, right? He's existed for all eternity past and all eternity future. He is above everything, like, like all of those things, so it's simply that he exists, Right? And this is his name, and he upholds it high, and he upholds his glory, and he is not okay when we go and try and steal glory from him. And this is why sin itself is even attached to glory in Romans. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you've probably heard Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And so often, so often, 
We, we emphasize the first part, for all have sinned, right? Because sin is pervasive. It's all humanity. Every human has sinned and therefore deserves death under God's glory. But, but, but it's for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that sin itself is tied to the way that we defame God's glory because God is absolutely serious about upholding his glory and sin is an utter defamation of God's glory. And so we end up at this problem. We end up at this problem because our sin makes encountering God's glory a problem, right? What we were meant for, what we were designed to be in his glory and worship him, sin causes this problem. Look at the way that the Israelites experience this. This is actually before Moses comes down shining, when they first show up to Mount Sinai. This is what happens, Exodus 19. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered with thunder and then God speaks and he gives us the Ten Commandments and then you jump down right after he gives the Ten Commandments it says all the people perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and when the people saw it they trembled and stood at a distance then they said to Moses speak to us yourself and we will listen but let not God speak to us or we will die do you see what's happening they show up to the mountain and it's like quaking, there's like clouds around, there's lightning and thunder, there's like earthquakes and there's trumpets happening and like fire and it's like crazy. And so everybody's like, oh my gosh, like something crazy supernatural is happening and they're seeing God show up in his power and then God speaks and they freak out. They, they freak out, they're like, oh my gosh, this is so terrifying, this is so insane. Like, like hey Moses, you, you're like, you seem to have like a connection with God. Why don't you go get the message and come back because we can't hear God's voice anymore. Like, we're going to die. You go talk to him. Like, like this is crazy. And, and the reaction that they're having is because they have sin. Right? They have sin. And when they encounter God's glory, they understand rightly. Like, no. If we encounter the full glory of God, like, we are actually going to perish. Because having sin makes encountering God's glory absolutely terrifying absolutely terrifying so something needs to happen right something needs to happen because god is ultimately glorious and like worthy to be glorified he is ultimately glorious and worthy to be glorified and he wants to bring us into that so something has to happen to deal with our sin so that we can encounter god's glory the way that we were meant to so we go to hebrews chapter 12 and the writer of Hebrews actually brings us to the same moment at Mount Sinai. This is what he says. He says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. 
You see what this is talking about? Like this, like the Bible is for us. It's written to us, right? So even though they're writing to Hebrews at this time, this is also written for us. So when it says, for you have not come, like for you have not come, for, for I have not come, we in this room, this is writing to us that we have not come to a mountain that, be can, touch, that can be touched to a blazing fire and all of this. We are not like the Israelites in this moment. We have not come to this thing that we sit and we quake in fear and trembling at what? God's doing but this but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of angels. You know what we have come to? We've actually come into the presence of God that we get to enjoy and be in God and his glory, right? That he is gathering people to himself and that we get to be amongst the church, the gathered assembly, that we get to worship with the myriads of angels. This is what we have come to and why? Why can we come to it? It's because Jesus is a better mediator, that he is the mediator for a better covenant, that when Jesus went to that cross, Jesus, the perfect one, who can identify with with us because he lived as a human yet without sin and he went to that cross and he bore our sins on his own body and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and rose again that we might have life right this is the gospel this is the beauty that Jesus is the better meteor he did this so that we actually can come in and experience the glory of God and enjoy it Man, what a wonderful thing because of what Jesus has done. Not only do we get to encounter his glory, we find ultimate joy in his presence, right? Because this is where ultimate joy is. Ultimate joy, like glory, God's glory is not just something big and grand, but, but it's actually what we are meant for is to experience and glorify him. So this is where you want to know real joy this is where it happens, is experiencing his glory. But often, we let other things hinder and get in the way of experiencing glory and worshiping and glorifying him. For me, one of the main things is I struggle with anxiety. A lot of people don't know this, and maybe I just don't show it outwardly, but, it, but there's certain things that get me really anxious, and to the point where it's like debilitating, to the point where it's like, like you got that thing in your stomach, and it just drops, and then I'm shaking, and I, I can't breathe, and I, I just can't do anything, and I just have to like be a recluse and just go away, and like, like the anxiety is absolutely overwhelming, and so many times I've fallen into this trap of thinking like, no, 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 I have to deal with this thing before I can come to God, that I have to deal with this or do this before I can worship and it's so false it's such a lie that is not what it is because worship isn't about my anxiety right worship isn't about your anxiety it's not about your frustrations it's not about your goals it's not about your accomplishments it's not about the things that you want to do and and how we do anything because worship isn't about you and it's not about me worship is about God and his glory and only when it's about God do we experience the full, immeasurable joy of worship and glorifying God. So what we need to do, what we need to do today, what we need to do this week and next week and next month, 
it's to behold the glory of God. Right? When we behold the glory of God, it elicits worship. When we behold the glory of God, it actually helps us deal with sin. Because every time I am enticed by sin, it's because I see this thing as grand and great. Because I've lost sight of that which is truly great. That I need to behold the glory of God in that moment. And we are so prone to look away and be distracted by other things. So we have to come back often and behold the glory of God. Every day, every hour, every minute to be reminded and come back and behold the glory of God. And pour out our hearts in worship. Because you know what? All the universe is worshiping right now. And we're going to worship with him. Psalms 19 says this, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. The heavens are telling the glory of God. They're worshiping. And so we are beckoned and welcomed to come and glorify our God because he is worthy, because he is glorious and holy and majestic 